This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Today we're going to continue our studies in the book of Daniel, chapter 5. It is the 16th day of October, 539 B.C. Belshazzar, who is co-regent king of Babylon, is living his life the way most folks live their lives today. He's living his life the way that he wants to, regardless of what God says in the Bible and God's demand for obedience. They don't care. He's flaunting himself before God in arrogant opposition to God's majesty by doing things that show his lack of respect for God. And that's the way people live their lives today. The result, though, of his foolish actions and those who live like him today will be an eternal night of suffering and terror. In the study today, we want to look at Daniel 5 as we study Belshazzar's night of terror. Now, remember, don't get Belshazzar mixed up with Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar was the name that Daniel was given, his Babylonian name. Belshazzar was a co-regent king. Now there has been some question as to whether Belshazzar actually ruled in Babylon. Until 1853 there was no mention of Belshazzar outside the Bible. It was believed that Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon and that the book of Daniel was a fraud or at least a work of fiction to encourage the Jewish people under the tyranny of Antiochus Epiphanes during the time of the Maccabees. But in 1853, an inscription was found in a cornerstone of a temple built by Nabonidus in the city of Ur unto a god. And it read like this, and I quote, May I, Nabonidus, king of Babylon, not sin against thee, and may reverence for thee swell in the heart of Belshazzar, my firstborn favorite son, unquote. So once again, the skeptic's hammer is unable to break the anvil of God's word. The skeptics are proven wrong. The Bible is always proven to be right. From other inscriptions, we've learned that Nabonidus was in retirement much of the time outside of Babylon, and that Belshazzar was in control of the army and the government, co-regent with his father. The Belshazzar's night begins in revelry. Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Daniel 5, 1 through 4. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father or forefather Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. So right there he's showing God he has absolutely no respect for him. Verse 3, Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. Verse 4, 
They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Praising all these false gods, because these false gods were all made in people's images. That's the way people want to do. We want to worship the God that we create in our own image, not the God that created us in his image. Royal feasts in antiquity were often huge. Athenaeus relates that a Persian king daily fed 15,000 men from his table. Montgomery tells of a marriage festival of Alexander, of which 10,000 guests were present. And the oriental custom was that the king sat at a separate table on an elevated place so that the guests were before him and they could all see him sitting there. And you know, sin often looks like a banquet. Satan paints a picture of sin so that it looks like a beautiful painting in full living color. You know, we don't see him anymore, but back whenever I was growing up, you had the Marlboro Man riding off into the great western horizon, a beautiful picture of a man who was there smoking his cigarette. There were commercials that you use the right kind of toothpaste, you get the sex appeal. Liquor industries trying to convince us that they are our best friends. Oh, they have their little saying, Friends don't let friends drive drunk or drink responsibly. Well, they should change those. The one should say, friends don't let friends drink, period. And they should say, it is an impossibility to drink responsibly. There is no such thing as responsible drinking. Oh, but then they also show us all the fun that could be had while we are at the casinos and everybody is young and everybody's winning and laughing and smiling and having such a great time. Oh, and if you play the lottery, you get to help all the schools out and give the schools money. You know what? Those are all lies. They are all lies. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Nobody ever turns that canvas over to show what's on the other side of Satan's painting in black and white. Nobody ever shows those that suffer while they're dying with emphysema and lung cancer because they used tobacco, or whether they're dying of cancer of their tongue or their throat because they use smokeless tobacco. We never see those who ruin their lives because of unwanted pregnancies or all of the sexually transmitted diseases that are out there. I read one spot on the internet that said one-third of the people in America have a sexually transmitted disease. And in all the abortions that take place, the murder of innocent children, 
and it's not just murder, it's torture and execution. Tearing them limb from limb, causing them to be smothered in salt water or burned to death. The partial birth abortion, partial birth abortion where a hole is drilled in the back of the skull before the child is completely delivered and then his brain sucked out with a vacuum. Somebody try to tell us where is that even human? Humane. Well, we're all worried about things that are humane. Abortion is one of the most inhumane things that people do to one another. We never look at the mangled bodies, the abused children, the beaten wives caused by alcohol and the use of other drugs. We don't see the man or woman who cannot afford to feed their family because they're out at the casinos or they're buying their lottery tickets so that they can get rich. See, that's the problem. People want to get things for nothing. Well, Belshazzar was having a great time reveling at his banquet, but all that great time would soon turn into terror and tragedy. The night of terror begins in Daniel chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. We'll read verse 5 first. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Suddenly during all this fun he's having, fingers of a man's hand appear. The word plaster there is a Chaldean word that means chalk or white. Archaeologists who have worked at the ancient city of Babylon tell us that the walls of the palace were covered with white plaster. So here these fingers are over against the wall, and they are writing. Verse 6, Then the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote against one another. His countenance was changed. Oh, he was having fun, as we the world calls fun. But his countenance changed. The word there actually means the color left his face. He became pale. The brightness left him. It was no more fun going on now. It says, his thoughts troubled him. Maybe a guilty conscience for the things that he had done. And it says the joints of his loins were loosed, his vertebrae were loosed, his knees were smacking against one another. This man was terrified. He was trembling at God's word. God's word terrified him. And that's what's going to happen to those today who turn their back on God. They live their lives the way they want to live them. They create gods in their own image, and they don't care about the God that created them in His image. But as the Hebrews writer says, it is a fearful thing 
to fall into the hands of the living God. And that is what Belshazzar is doing. He's falling into the hand of the living God. Verse 7. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. A great vast amount of honor and wealth given to the individual that can tell him what those fingers of a man's hand wrote on the wall. Now verse 8. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, about Nebuchadnezzar's dreams? Nobody could tell him what it meant. Nobody could tell him. Same way here with the writing. Verse 9. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. They were perplexed. They didn't know what was going on. The king was scared to death. Terror had overtaken him. Now verse 10. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. Verse 11 says, There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Verse 12, For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams, showing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the or will show the interpretation. So there's the advice from the queen. The queen here is probably Nebuchadnezzar's aged widow. Now remember, the nation of Babylon only lasted about 70 years, and Nebuchadnezzar was the second king. So Nebuchadnezzar's aged widow is probably here, and she just goes up to him and says, Get Daniel in here. He'll tell you what's going on. Get him in here. Well, first of all, when Daniel gets there, he's going to give Belshazzar a history lesson. This is Daniel 5. 17 to 21. Daniel 5, 17 to 21 is the history lesson. Now let's go back to verse 13 now. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? Are you the same Daniel? Are you the Daniel that I'm looking for? He's saying. Verse 14, I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. 
And now the wise men and the astrologers have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I've heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a gold chain about thy neck, it shall be third ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel was brought in. And now we're going to get to the part where Daniel gives him a history lesson. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. In other words, Daniel saying, I don't care about being third ruler in the kingdom. I don't care about being clothed in scarlet. I don't care about your golden chains. Oh, that's not the normal action of people, is it? Oh, they would love to have those things because they're greedy. People are greedy. They are covetous. They're not content. Daniel was content. He says, though continuing there in verse 17, yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. I don't want all this junk, all this trash you're wanting to give me, but I'll read for thee and give you the interpretation. Now the history lesson, verse 18. O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. That's what we looked at in our last lesson in Daniel chapter 4, learning humility the hard way. Verse 21, And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. He's saying, Belshazzar, you look at your forefather, and I don't know if he was grandfather, great-grandfather, or what, because you look at your forefather Nebuchadnezzar and he's going to tell him, you know these things. You know this happened. You need to remember from history. We need to learn from history. We need to go back and look at history and learn from it. That is one of the great problems that the nation of Israel had. They, would go, they didn't go back and look at history. You look at during the period of the Judges. Oh, they would be doing okay, and then all of a sudden they would turn and they'd go down and they'd serve other gods. God would bring in a, a foreign nation that would rule over them severely, and then they would cry out to God, and God would bring them a deliverer or a judge, and 
they would all be great till the judge died, then they'd go right back. They didn't learn from history. We need to learn from history. Belshazzar did not learn from history. And he needed to, just as we need to. All right, continuing there in Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verse 22. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. He knew all this took place. He knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that his pride had gotten the best of him, and he knew that Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself before God. He goes, you knew all this. You knew it. Verse 23. But has lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou, thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, thou hast not glorified. Isn't that what people do today? They praise the gods of wealth, the gods of pleasure, the gods of sports, the gods of entertainment. They praise the gods of the things that they enjoy. Sex, the gods of sex, the gods of alcohol, gods of drugs, all these foolish things. And they do not praise the God in whose hand their breath is. What did James say? But for what is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. God holds our breath in his hand. And he knows all of our ways and we need to be glorifying him. I want to go over to the book of Romans. Keep your finger here in, in Daniel and go over to the book of Romans, chapter 1. And we look down beginning in verse 18. It says there, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold truth and unrighteousness, or who suppress, is what the word hold there means. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. God showed us that he's here. God shows us in his word how we need to live. God shows us what we need to do. But people suppress the truth. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. Everyone who turns their back on God has no excuse. Because God clearly shows that he is out there. 
Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. We know there's a God, unless we're just so ignorant that we believe in atheism. We know there's a God, and we need to be searching to see what that God demands of us. They're without excuse. You, know, you look at that verse 20. It says, The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen by being understood by the things that are made. We're the things that are made. We understand that there's a God. Even his eternal power and Godhead. Now verse 21 of Romans 1. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Isn't that exactly what Belshazzar did? He knew of God because of his grandfather, great-grandfather, whoever he was, Nebuchadnezzar. He knew of God, but he glorified him not as God because he glorified the gods of wood, stone, gold, silver, etc. And neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And isn't that what it says? I believe Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They're a fool that does not believe in God. They claim to be wise. Oh, you look at all the science in quotations, scientists in quotations. Oh, they all believe in evolution and they're trying to prove all these things and they haven't proved one thing yet. Evolution is, you know, we called it the theory of evolution, but it's not even a good hypothesis. The hypothesis of evolution causes people to profess themselves to be wise and become fools. Verse 23, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed beasts, creeping things. You know, there are those that are doing that. That's what Belshazzar did. That's the people also that are worshiping the gods of sports and alcohol and sex and drugs and all those things. Verse 24, Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We worship the animals around us. Oh, we know what that's taking. We know what that is. We worship animals. We worship trees and things such as that. For this cause, verse 26 says, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. In other words, they practiced lesbianism. They practiced homosexuality. Homosexuality is sin. It is sin. It always has been sin. And as Isaiah said, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. And that's what people are doing today with homosexuality and transgenderism and things such as that. Verse 27, Likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men working with men that which is unseemly, the word unseemly there means shameful, and receiving themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. 
right there it shows homosexuality is not natural. All you have to do is look at the animal world. Homosexuality is not natural. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, which are, which are indecent. God doesn't make people do right. People have to choose to do right. God doesn't make people homosexual. People choose to be homosexual or not. People choose to sin. People choose to drink or not. People choose to gamble or not. People choose to lie or not. People choose to do whatever or not. But we make our own choices and we will answer for those choices. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife or debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. You realize that your people is oh disobedient to parents? Yeah, that's in the same group of sins as is homosexuality and transgenderism and hating and murder and things such as that. Verse 31 says, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, women killing their babies before they're born, that's without natural affection. Women killing their babies after they're born, that's without natural affection. Then there is no difference. Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. If you don't do it and you consent that things are doing, that they're doing okay, you're just as bad as the ones that are doing it. Consent is just as bad as doing it. But that goes back to Daniel chapter 5 there. They were worshiping the gods of iron, brass, gold, silver, wood, stone. And those gods don't see, they don't hear, they are no god. And then verse 24 of Daniel chapter 5. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. God sent that hand, and this is the writing that was written. You know, God expects us to learn from history. As we saw there that Belshazzar was told in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. If I go to Romans, it helped. I went all the way over to 1 Corinthians. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The things that are written in God's word, the things that are written in the Old Testament, the things that are written in the New Testament, of course, things written aforetime here, he's referring to the Old Testament. They were written for our learning. 
we see how God deals with people. Now also go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 11. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea. That's talking about when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry land after they had come out of the land of Egypt. Now verse 3. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Verse 5. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. You go back and you remember in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, whenever they came back and they gave an account of the land, how that ten of the twelve spies gave a bad account. The people are strong. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we can take it. Only Joshua and Caleb said, Let us go up at once and take the land, for we are well able to do it, because God is with us. But those ten convinced the rest of the nation, and the rest of the nation there is what they're referring to in verse 5. With many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Every one of the military age from 20 years old and up died in the wilderness because they disobeyed God. Now look at verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 10. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Right there it shows us these are examples. This shows us how God, what God thinks of the evil they did and how God will deal. Verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's the event that took place at the golden calf. Verse 8, Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Fornication. You look at the Greek word there. Thayer defines that as Homosexuality, premarital sex, sex outside of marriage, adultery, and sex with animals. That's all fornication. All of it is fornication. And there fell in one day there 23,000. Verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Remember the days whenever Moses had to build that brass serpent and everyone that was bit by a venomous serpent, whenever they looked upon that brass serpent, they would live. And then verse 10. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. They murmured against God, always complaining. And then in verse 11. Now all these things, happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world are come, ends of the world are come. We're living in the last age. The Christian age is the last age of this earth. There will not be another. But he says, 
All those things are examples for us to look back for our warning. Don't be living like them. Don't be living like them. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter 5 and in verses 25 through 29 Daniel reads and interprets the writing. Daniel 5, 25 through 29. And this is the writing that was written. Mini, mini, tikel ufarsen. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mini, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikel. Thou art weighed in the balances, and art found wanting. Perez, verse 28, Thy kingdom is divided, and given to the Medes and the Persians. That's the interpretation that was given. Now let's look at these just a little bit. The word meaning there is repeated twice for emphasis. All of these that we're looking at here, are money weights and balances and things that weigh money weights. His kingdom was numbered and finished by God. We might say his days are numbered. Well, from Belshazzar, his hours were numbered. Tekel, you're weighed and found light. Belshazzar was weighed upon the divine scale and found to be lacking as a ruler because he disobeyed God. He was lacking as a ruler. Every ruler that does not obey God is found lacking before God. Upharsin. Upharsin is from the word Perez that we also saw there. U or the U is Chaldean for and, and Farson is the plural of Perez. Perez means divided, and is plural. His kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So that gives us or tells us what those words mean. Now we go to verse 29. It says, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put chain around his neck, and made proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel didn't care for that, but the king did keep his word. God, though, going back to what we're looking at, meni, meni, tikel, ufarsin, God judges sin for all of us to see. In Revelation chapter 20, Look at verses 12 through 15. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15. Or I want to start in verse 11 through 15. John says, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God is going to judge. Jesus is the one who will be the judge. And if we are not found faithful, we will be cast in the lake of fire. If we are faithful, we will be blessed forever in heaven. Since that time, you think about it, where did that phrase, the handwriting on the wall, come from? It came from Daniel, chapter 5. So since that time, man has used the phrase, the handwriting is on the wall, to refer to the end of someone or something. And that was going to be the end of Belshazzar because Belshazzar's night of terror ends in his death. Daniel chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. <clears throat> it says, In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Historians tell us that King Nabonidus met the approaching Cyrus and was defeated and fled to Borsippa. Herodotus tells us that Cyrus was a long time in preparing the siege of Babylon. The Babylonians came out to meet the conquering army and were defeated. So they retreated inside the city walls and they weren't worried about the Medes and the Persians. No, you go back and look, Belshazzar was having a feast. They knew there was no way that they could enter into the city of Babylon had the Euphrates River there, and they had all the bars going down into that, and there's no way they could get in. The walls were so high and also so deep under the ground. There was no way they thought that the Medes and Persians could get into the city. Adam Clark in his commentary states this, and I quote, Xenophon says he was dispatched by two lords, Gadatus and Gabrias, who went over to Cyrus to avenge themselves of certain wrongs which Belshazzar had done them. We've already seen that Cyrus entered the city by the bed of the Euphrates, which he had emptied by cutting a channel for the waters and directing them into the marshy country. Unquote. That's how they conquered the city of Babylon. They rerouted the Euphrates River and they just walked in. Historians tell us that the capture of the city occurred about daybreak. Darius was the leader of the army here while Cyrus was busy in his northern and western campaigns. God had foretold of this event. The fall of Babylon and what happened in the city are clearly prophesied. First of all, go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 1. Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 1. It says, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob, and will yet choose Israel, and set them in their own land. And strangers shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. So right there it tells us that after their capture, or after their conquering by Babylon, they're going to be going back to their land. Now look at verses 18 through 20 of Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, 18 through 20. 
all the kings of the nations, even all them, lie in glory, every one in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, as a raiment of those that are clothed, or that are slain, thrust through with a sword, that go down to the stones of the pit, to the carcass trodden under their feet. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people, and the seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Again, this is talking about the city of Babylon there. The city of Babylon, chapter 14, go back to verse 4. Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon, and say, How hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city has ceased. So Babylon is the one being talked about. In Isaiah chapter 44, verses 27 and 28. Isaiah 44, 27 and 28. He says there that saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. That saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Right there it shows us how he was going to conquer the city. He would dry up the river. And he did. And there are so many others there in the book of Isaiah that tell of the fall of the city of Babylon. Now I want to go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 50. Jeremiah, chapter 50. Want to read verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord spake against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. In verses 29 through 32 of the same chapter there, Jeremiah 50, verses 29 to 32. Call together the archers against Babylon, all ye that bend the bow, camp against it round about. Let none thereof escape. Recompense her according to her work, according to all that she had done, do unto her. For she hath been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore shall her young men fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, saith the Lord. Verse 31. Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud, saith the Lord God of hosts. For thy day is come, the time that I will visit thee and the most proud shall stumble and fall, and none shall raise him up. And I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it shall devour all round about him. Babylon never was raised again. In chapter 50, look at verses 38 and 39. Jeremiah 50, 38 and 39. Again, it says, A drought is upon her waters, and they shall be dried up. For the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. Therefore the wild beast of the desert, and the wild beast of the island shall dwell there, and the owl shall dwell therein, and it shall no more be, in, or be no more inhabited forever. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. The city of Babylon is not dwelt in. In chapter 51 of Jeremiah, verse 36. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will please my cause and take my vengeance for thee. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. Again, it's talking about what would happen to the Euphrates River. It would be dried up 
and the Medes and Persians would march in. And then verse 57 of Jeremiah 51. And I will make drunk her princes and her wise men, her captains and her rulers and her mighty men, and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, saith the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The Babylonians were too busy partying to know that their city had fallen. Too busy partying. Didn't even know their, their city fell. Satan does the same thing to us. He uses the passing pleasures of sin to fool us into thinking that everything's all right until we find out it's too late. Satan lulls us into a false sense of security, and then he springs his trap. The fall of Babylon and the death of Belshazzar are warnings for people of all ages all time that a life that is lived through the wants and desires of the flesh will end in terror. If we put our wants and desires ahead of God of any way, or in any way, the day of terror awaits us too. Let's end the lesson today by reading Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye Shall it be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? Now verse 30. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing, to fall into the hands of the living God. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We thank you for listening.